All right, so before we get started, I wanted to uh, shout out a couple of products like I do every week that um, I've had the pleasure of working with, using, you know, over the last year or two. Um, and they've, been they've become really useful when it comes to me uh, being out in the woods and hunting. All right, first up, Afflicted Broadheads, the toughest broadheads on the planet. Um, I took down my first turkey with uh, my first and only turkey, my only bow kill, my only hunting kill, period, um, with these broadheads. Uh, these suckers are tough. Um, Afflictor Broadheads does have a YouTube page that I highly recommend you check out. Um, you'll find them on YouTube as Afflictor Broadheads. Highly informative. Um, if you or someone you know that is new to bow hunting, is really trying to figure stuff out by ways of broadheads i highly recommend you check out their youtube page you can also check them out on instagram their instagram handle is at afflictor or you can visit their website www.afflictorbroadheads.com next up the onyx hunt app you guys already know man all right it is the number one gps hunting app for a reason Alright, um, so many different features that I'm not going to list right now, only because this podcast episode is already long enough, but I highly recommend you go and check them out. Um, the great thing about, about the Onyx Hunt app is that it's available on any and all mobile devices, and it's available for use on your computer as well. So if you want, if you're sitting at your computer, if you're sitting at your laptop, whatever it may be, go ahead and visit www.onxmaps.com or go ahead to the the Apple Store on your iOS device or the Google Play Store on your Android device and download it to your mobile device today. Know where you stand with the Onyx Hunt app. And last but not least, Nor'easter game calls. Um, I've been learning a lot about calling. Um, right before my turkey season, I practice a lot of my uh, turkey calling, I used box calls, pot calls, you know, slate surface, glass surface, all that. The thing about Norisa game calls is these are custom game calls, not, uh, you know, made on some assembly line, um, you know, uh, with some machine or whatever. Mark makes each and every piece by hand, one by one. This dude is in his shop every night grinding them out. And these are beautiful works of art. So check them out. Nor'easter Game Calls. Get them in close. All right. Check them out on Instagram at Nor'easter Game Calls or visit their website www.nor'eastergamecalls.com. What up, what up, what up? Welcome to episode 65 of When the Hunt Calls, the only hunting podcast hosted by a middle-aged black guy from New York City. I am said black guy, your host, Cliff Cadet. Happy Friday, y'all. Thanks for joining me on my little walk through nature. As you could hear, I'm hoofing it right now. And uh, by walk through nature, I mean a walk through my hood. So I'm fairly sure you can hear the cars passing by trucks backing up and beeping maybe y'all might hear some birds chirping i highly doubt it but uh yeah like i told y'all before in past episodes this uh podcast is a bit unconventional 
know what I'm saying? I didn't feel like sitting in my car. I didn't feel like sitting in a room in my house or nothing like that. So I am taking a walk and thank you for joining me. If this is your first time listening in to this podcast, I thank you for joining me. Um, you know, I hope you enjoy the interview. Um, if it is, if you are a regular listener, uh, subscriber, follower, if you will, thank you. I appreciate you for checking back in. All right. So here's the deal. My guests today are Xavier Kathy and Jason Kachuk. All right. Um, they are the hosts of the podcast, The North-South Connection Out. Doors. It is a podcast that I thoroughly enjoy listening to, mainly because um, it's not only about hunting. Well, it is about hunting, but it's about the outdoors as a general, uh, as uh, about the outdoors in general. But they also bring a unique perspective, I should say. Um, one I'm not normally used to listening to when I listen to hunting podcasts, because these guys have jobs, have careers in you know wildlife conservation. So let me shut up and without further ado, uh, here are Xavier and Jason, again, hosts of their own podcast, the North South Connection Outdoors. Listen and enjoy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming back Xavier Cathy and uh, his partner in crime, or better yet, his co-host of the North South Connection Outdoors, Jason Kacha. Guys, uh, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, it's been a long time coming. I really wanted to have you guys on. Thank you again for taking the time out to sit and talk with me. Yeah, Cliff, man, no problem. Uh, looking forward to it. I've been it's been one of my highlights all week. So now, glad to be back. I'm glad to uh, be able to talk to with you, talk with you again, and and uh, looking forward to it, man. Yeah, I'm glad to be on here for the first time and uh, ready to have some fun. Nice, nice. So, um, before we jump into like, I guess the whole meat and potatoes of everything, why I really wanted to have you guys on, um, I really want to get into, uh, your background, Jason, um, now Xavier, not to, not to cut you, not to like <laughs> exclude you, but, yeah. um, as I, I probably I'm going to do, or if I haven't done already in the introduction uh, to this, uh, episode, um, if my listeners uh, don't know already, you were a guest before, which is why yeah. I, I said I welcomed you back. And uh, you were on episode 42. So I highly encourage uh, my listeners to head back and uh, listen to that episode to get an idea of who you are and what you do. So I'm just going to push you aside just a little bit. Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, and Jason, of, you know, I guess I wanted to learn a little bit more about you. Like, um, first, you know, let's find out about your, your hunting experience. All right. I know a lot of people uh, usually want to know um, whenever I have a, get, a guest on, they like, what does this person know about hunting? So um, I know you hunt. Um, I don't have a, a huge idea. I know you turkey hunt, listening to the past couple of episodes of your podcast. But um, how did you get into hunting? Is it something you've been doing, you know, since you were a kid or something you got into later on in life? Um, it's kind of a, a mixture of both, I'd say. Um, as a kid, uh, I grew up in Chicago, so there wasn't really a whole lot of options around for me, but mm -hmm. my family is from, a lot of my family on my mom's side is from Southern Illinois, um, mm -hmm. big old farm, had a bunch of cows on it, deer hunting every year in the fall, uh, the rifle opener. Um, so I remember being extremely little and going, why is that deer hanging from, uh, from the forklift there? And, uh, then I was taught that, you know, they're, they're cleaning it or, you know, this is how we get meat down here. 
Uh, my great-grandma lived off wild game, and uh, she raised her own vegetables, raised chickens. I think the only thing she went to the grocery store was for, uh, for milk. But uh, after that, I, uh, I, I kind of was hunting a little bit, you know, a little deer here, a little turkey there. You get some duck action once in a while. Um, but it was pretty stagnant for a while when um, my great-grandma died, so then the whole family kind of went their own ways. Um, and that picked it all back up roughly in, in college. Um, me and Xavier, we went to the same school, same graduating class, same major, everything. So um, kind of got the, the passion again. And with this field that we're, that we're both in, um, when you first start, a lot of times you're traveling all over the country. So mm-hmm. I got to see a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm like, oh, man, I get to go see even more when I go hunting. So um, just start getting out there more and more, and uh, it's, it's, been a, it's been a wild ride. That's all I know. <laughs> nice, nice. Do you mind sharing with everybody what, what you do for a living? Yeah, so I'm a sport fish biologist with the state of Arizona. I um, used to work for Fish and Wildlife Service um, in multiple roles with um, different big game, birds, um, sometimes um, herp work with like snakes, lizards, turtles. Um, so now I'm just on fish um, and thinking at this point it might be the, the end of my traveling hmm. around. This might be my stay forever job. Um, but you never know in this field, you know, better opportunities might come, but uh, I manage all our sport fish um, for my region and um, I love it. Get to go on small rivers, small creeks um, in the desert, which you would think has no water. Um, there are small pools that have, you know, like six fish in them. And then you walk, you know, two miles, there's another pool with like 20 fish in them. So seeing stuff like that is it's really cool. I mean, it's never a dull day, especially since now um, when I'm not doing straight sport fish. Um, like I'm big water and I'm helping out natives or doing my small stream work. Um, I get to use a lot of gear that we use during mm-hmm. the hunting season. So, uh, I mean, I'm putting everything through the ringer, everything I could throw at it. And uh, so I think my gear system now has been better since I've uh, dialed it in, especially with work here. Um, mm-hmm. Now that's Arizona weather. You know, it, we change 30 degrees every day. It's hot during the day and, um, you know, 60s at night, roughly. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, it's a been a cool thing for me and i've been here since october and and i gotta tell you i love arizona and um i'm diving in deep into the culture here now i'm becoming definitely a, a true resident of the state yeah nice i could tell you i experienced firsthand um just from a, a layover in uh in phoenix year no actually was it back in 03 2003 i left new york city it was like um 50 something degrees the morning that I got on my flight. I had like a, a hoodie on. I was like layered up. So I had a hoodie on, a long sleeve shirt on um, under that. Then uh, I get off the plane and it's on the tarmac in Phoenix. And then I'm sweating my ass off. Like I had to peel. Like <laughs> as I'm walking down the steps of this uh, from the plane, I'm like, dang, I couldn't get my hoodie off fast enough. Like it was hot out there. But um, all right. So that's pretty dope you know especially you know the career that you have but i'm really curious I'm, I'm totally ignorant to this what exactly is a sports fish so sport fish in general layman's term is basically all your targeted fish when you go fishing so largemouth mm-hmm. bass which is the most well-known sport fish of all time i mean that we have the bass tournaments everything um from where i used to be which is my home and forever will be in the midwest Walleye was a huge sport fish, northern pike, because we love to eat them. Um, you get smallmouth as well. 
and a lot of these fish we do have in the state of Arizona as well. So striped bass is a um, nice sport fish, and all your catfish as well. So, I mean, literally it covers everything you target, really, when you fish, um, mm-hmm. except for carp. Um, they're technically not a sport fish. They're considered a rough fish. Um, so if you ever hear the, um, someone say the term trash fish, like gar, buffalo, carp, um, those are, tra- are rough fish. So they're not sport fish, um, even though we do target them with other means, like bow fishing. So sport fish, anything rod and reel, um, usually all your your trophies where people brag about um, panfish, bluegill, red your sunfish, they all fall under that as well. Most people have decent fisheries of those. Um, just got to give another shout out. It was on our one of our episodes, but the Lake Havasu red ear record is like six pounds something now and um, doesn't even look like a real fish, but um, there's <laughs> monsters out there. So um, I, I'm just lucky enough to, to get to witness all that, but yeah, so sport fish are, are pretty much anything you want to target and catch, and they're just um, just good fish overall. I mean, they're good eating fish, um, just everything we love to manage and, and go after, versus the non-game, which will be your what we call bait fish, you know, minnows, chubs, um, shiner, stuff like that. That's just non-game. Um, so it falls under a whole bunch of categories depending on the state you live in. Everything's classified differently. So that's just a, a quick little rundown for you. Cool, cool. Now, just to jump over to Xavier real quick, um, could you, you know, for my listeners, if they didn't jump, you know, stop, you know, push pause on this episode and jump to episode 42, could you um, share with us what you do as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So, yeah, I work for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, I've been with them for over 10 years now. Um, and I've held multiple positions, uh, anything from wildland firefighter. I was a federal uh, wildlife officer uh, for a while. And then now I am a refuge manager uh, here located in West Tennessee. So with that in my specific uh, area of focus currently is uh, waterfowl management. Um, and then I've also worked in the Everglades down in South Florida, uh, working with uh, different species down there, the python, the alligator, uh, some different endangered species, some waterfowl down there, uh, doing a lot of water quality issues. Uh, and then, you know, also dealing with a lot of invasives, both um, vegetation and uh, animal related invasive species, hogs, uh, melaleuca plants, things like that. Um, and so, yeah, so I've got, I've, I've been able to hit the whole spectrum within the Fish and Wildlife Service from anything from biology to fire, law enforcement, management. So, and just, just as a short, keep it kind of short and uh, neat. That's kind of my, my uh, background. Cool. Good yeah. to know. So now you guys both host a podcast called the North South Connection Outdoors. Um, and what I enjoy thoroughly about your podcast is it's not only about hunting. Um, it is, well, while it is mainly about hunting, um, you guys not only talk about hunting, but also conservation. And I, I am led to believe it's mainly because of the careers. one, not only what you, you guys studied in college, but the careers you currently hold or have held in the past, um, I just real quick, I encourage my listeners, um, if you guys get a chance, definitely check it out. The North South, uh, the North South Connection Outdoors. 
listen to it. Great, uh, great content. Back to this. Um, what do you call it? So, is that what you guys kind of look to look to do? I'm sorry, I'm a bit like tongue tied right now. Um, is that what you guys? Is that was your goal? Was that your goal? You know, from the start to do to bring a different take when it uh, when it came to talking about hunting subjects. Yeah, and and I'll touch on it, and then Jason definitely uh, as well. But uh, absolutely, you know, I think me and Jason we were actually at his wedding, uh, probably what Jason three four years before we actually started the podcast, talking about it, and you know. Uh, it's one of those things where, you know, we're good at one thing, you know, and that is wildlife related activities, whether it be hunting, fishing or conservation related uh, things. And so we just enjoy it so much. You know, we chose it to go. We chose to go to school for it. We chose to uh, make that our profession. And then, you know, even in our spare time, me and Jason, just on our on our own, we're talking about it with each other on the phone, texting. Uh, you know, he's he's probably he's my best hunting partner. So like we're always scouting together, even though we're you know on different parts of the country. And so we just were like, well, we have a lot of things that we've been able to do over our short years in this field and there's no point to just hold it all in you know because that only that only gets you so far in life if you're not spreading the knowledge then you know you're not really helping and that's my personal opinion anyway so we definitely wanted to talk about our passion which is hunting and fishing related activities but we also want to make sure everybody's engaged and understand the scientific side of things, the conservation side of things, the outdoors uh, news and issues, you know, because a lot of people don't know what's going on uh, in the outdoor industry or in Congress or in their local uh, governments when it comes to uh, outdoor recreation. And so, you know, we wanted to just bring shed light on those topics as well as going over gear reviews and hunting trips and things like that because you know there are a lot of podcasts out there but you know they specifically talk about hunting trips and physical preparation and mental preparation and things like that but you know we wanted to kind of have a hybrid show and i feel that we've done pretty well uh with doing so thus far uh what do you think jason yeah, I mean, it was uh, three and a half years ago at my wedding. We were talking about it, but to be fair, there was a, a lot of other activities going on. We were fishing for uh, muskies, northern pike, and there's a lot of drinking involved up there. So uh, it's northern Wisconsin. I mean, if anyone's ever been there, they understand what that, that life is like. And um, so we, we talked about it, and it never really sunk into me that, hey, we can really do this. Um, but we, I was at a turkey hunt. Um, couple of years after that and um just we we're like hey let's just we should do this like this is it and then we kept talking about it again every hunting season um you get those couple months off and we didn't really talk about it then and uh, i think it was a perfect storm um you know covid being at home and we're like well i think it's time like what else do i have to really do at this time and um yeah it was just let's it was time to do it so um i mean my passion's there um, gear is, I mean, everyone talks about gear, but we also look at it as everyone talks about expensive gear. Um, you know, either they're sponsored by them or um, you got to always have the best of the best. And that's not really our approach on these things. So it's always nice for, for us to say, hey, 
you, you can do this, you know, on a Walmart budget, um, you know, if you put your money in other places. So that's kind of where it started at. And then, you know, conservation, I mean, I pretty much breathe it. Um, I am that nerd who gets caught reading scientific papers about stuff that's not in my field. Um, hmm. Like, I'll, I'll read a paper on an insect for, for whatever reason, um, if it applies to my region. And um, I've always done that. I've always been more attracted to conservation than, you know, reading some, like, mystery book or something like that. I'll, I'll read, you know, field guides, brush up on all my things for, for birds and stuff like that. So, I'll, I mean, I just did a float trip for work. It was great. It was all fish-oriented, but I'm still identifying as many birds I can find by calls, by sight, trying to identify the, the new vegetation in, in Arizona for me um, because overall that makes you a better outdoors person. So we try to bring a little bit of everything so that, not, I mean, if you hunt, you know, you get something down the ground, you get good meat out of it, but there's always more to that species. Maybe there's some cool history about them, um, you know, conservation stories. Um, so that's just something we like to bring and try to, you know, give some some more knowledge back to people as well. Nice. I got to tell you that you guys were my inspiration for, I am now a member of the NWTF and oh. a member of BHA as well. Awesome. You, awesome. Yeah. That's, you, that's awesome. <laughs> you guys actually, because you've said on more than one episode, you, you highly recommend <laughs> that people do do the research. And that's one of the things that I've, uh, I feel like I'm back in, in, in school again, a lot of times in terms of, uh, with learning about you know bow hunting and such or hunting in general um learning about the you know the animal that i'm hunting learning about its habitat um learning about just the land that uh, you know up until a year ago i didn't know existed so close to me so i've been curious about learning you know for example uh this spring turkey season was when um or just before it um was when I was really doing research, learning about turkeys, and I started thinking, um, all right, I know the NWTF uh, does a lot of work with wild turkey habitats. I'm like, well, what do they do in relation to turkey habitats in the Northeast or in New York or right outside of New York City? You know what I'm saying? And doing my research, uh, like like I said, like you guys promote that all the time, um, got me into it and and you know ending up joining then wtf and then the same thing with bha um like last year i had i had interviewed lantani um about about yeah once or twice i had him on the podcast um but i had yet to become a member you know what i'm saying um though i knew they did a lot for conservation i didn't totally know what but then over the last year you know with the passing of the great american outdoors act Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I'm saying? And, and other pieces of legislation, um, it, it prompted me to learn more and more and then find out, you know, all right, what's, what's going on in my neck of the woods. I can't necessarily be, beside with, I mean, I can forward information, share information for what's going on in other cities and states, but I was really curious to know, all right, what's going on, you know, near me, you know, Absolutely. And, learn, and learning those things. I, I went, uh, I, attended a, a virtual uh a zoom call with uh the local bha chapter here the new york bha chapter here and uh and then a week later you know i joined you know what i'm saying and that awesome. was that was largely in part to to you guys i was just like you know what i, I put in the work did the research uh kind of like 
learned about them and then as i pulled the trigger on it so thank you guys for you know always promoting that and and motivating your listeners to do the research and then potentially uh contribute to those organizations and then you know joining them oh no man i appreciate that you know and i think for me personally you know i think about every time we record an episode and and me and jason both kind of harp on it a little bit and sometimes i'm like man maybe we shouldn't talk about it so much but then when i think about it again i'm like no we got to because especially a year like covid that hit so many of these organizations so hard because what a lot of people don't realize with all these organizations you know if you do like the the yearly individual membership that's you know either 35 or 25 dollars depending on what organization you join you mm-hmm. know they're getting more than that 25 or $35 because they have agreements with other big organizations that will match their yearly giving um, to, you know, maybe two times as much or three times as much. And so like your $35 is probably actually bringing in $150 more than likely, or maybe Mm -hmm. even more than that $300 when it all comes, when it's all said and done, when they go to all, other partners and say, look, this is how many members we have. And they say, okay, we'll match that membership cost. And so those organizations just do so much. And there's a lot of organizations. And that's one thing we also talk about. It's like, you know, you may, you don't have, I'm not saying be a part of every single group out there, but if it's a group that you're passionate about, you know, go for it. Because, you know, I, I serve on the Tennessee board of BHA. I'm the R3 coordinator for uh, the state of Tennessee. And it's just, man, it's been such an amazing experience for me to be able to be a part of BHA's group. And, you know, so I'm always promoting BHA especially. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's so many other organizations out there that's just, you know, phenomenal. So that's I'm, I'm super pumped to hear about that, man. Yes. And to please don't don't stop uh, promoting it because that that's a big thing. Having heard it more than once, it, it, it it's also one of those things where, you know what, the, probably the first time I heard you guys mention it, I thought about it then but then i it kind of like falls to the wayside then you mentioned it again i remember oh i gotta look into these guys and then like for example nwtf with like the months leading up to spring turkey season out here i was doing a lot of research on on turkey mainly to be able to share it on on instagram on my instagram page you know what i'm saying but Mm -hmm. as i did that you know sharing articles from the nwtf website um it led uh to me learning more about them and then i even got the opportunity to do um uh well i didn't i didn't write the piece but nwtf is going through uh a rebranding and um you know they sent a writer and a photographer out um and i got interviewed and and they took pictures of me and my mentor um turkey hunting this past spring um so hopefully you know, that helps with, you know, the whole effort, you know. Heck yeah, um, man. So. Uh, that's, that's really, really great. I'm happy. Um, I'm probably the happiest one that you joined NWTF. That's probably my favorite. Um, I'm a turkey addict. So I'm um, mm-hmm. just knowing that someone else joined. That's great. I've been seeing their stuff everywhere lately. They've been sending out more letters for, you know, re-upping and you get, you know, other perks on top of it. And mm-hmm. um, But a lot of times, like, these, these organizations are offering these free gifts and like sometimes I'm like, Oh yeah, that's cool. I forgot to sign up. Let me get, you know, a knife set. But there's a lot of times now where I'm like, I have, you know, four of the same knife set. I don't need it anymore. So I always like to do that. No gift option. Um, send it to someone else. Cause they still have to technically buy them. So, mm-hmm. I mean, 
the grand scale, they're probably only spending, you know, five bucks a person on this set because they're buying in bulk. But any any way we can do to help, and um, I'm just glad to hear that us constantly, you know, mentioning them, it helps. And uh, we probably, we're skipping a ton of organizations. So um, if you are listening in a certain state, check your local states as well. Mm-hmm. I know, like, Nevada has, like, its own sheep organization. Um, Arizona has its own elk organization. So mm-hmm. while we have the, the big ones on the national level, there's also state ones as well. And they do the same thing, banquets and all that. So there's many ways to, to help. And all these organizations will actually end up working together at some point. Habitat projects are, are big scale. So, you know, one organization is not always footing the bill. Um, I've seen a couple projects with NWTF on it, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation on it, and the state on it. So it's just it's one of those things where, I mean, I'm very appreciative of people getting out there, joining them. Um, we definitely want people to join them. It helps us out. Um, I mean, more people in conservation is better for everyone. Uh, agreed, agreed. And just so you know, like I'm uh, – not to say uh, I wasn't really into turkey hunting before, like I really was interested, but this past season has got me hooked. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's good, man. Yeah, easily like, done. Mean, yeah, because I it's it's like between turkey and deer, which are the only two animals I've hunted. It's I be, I feel like it's the more it's the more interactive of the two, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of you know tr- trying to because all right. So for my spring turkey season, I didn't get a chance to roost any birds so like i uh the land that i was hunting is like an hour from me and to try to get you know there by sundown or just before sundown i can't do with my work schedule so i had to take the knowledge that i learned from my mentor and the things that i read and you know at under the cover of darkness in the morning try to find a spot uh that where i've got you know, pretty decent cover behind me to break up my silhouette and then probably an open, you know, field in front of me and hope I'm, I've ended up under a roosted bird or anything like that, which, uh, which what was awesome was every day that I turkey hunted every morning, I ended up under a roosted Turkey, which was really dope. There you go. Only one of those days, which was opening day, I didn't see him. Like, I, I heard them, I called, but when they came down from the trees, um, they probably flew away from me and then never saw them again. That was on opening day. But every day after that, saw turkeys and I just couldn't get them in. Like <laughs> I tried using my decoy. I was using my slate call, mouth call, boss call, everything. So it's uh, it's it's hard. <laughs> you know <what> I'm <laughs> it's hard is all I could say, but They're I had smarter I had, than they look. That's for yeah. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like the very last day I hunted was Memorial day. Cause the season goes to May 31st here. And it was a windy, windy morning. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to stay in my spot. I'm not going to move. Um, I'd wait till like the wind just literally went dead. And then I hit the call and heard nothing. And I was sitting, uh, probably midway down this hill and the the wind happened to die down i hit the call all of a sudden i get a gobble and it's a it's this uh tom on the other side of the hill behind me so i'm creeping back i'm creeping up the hill creeping up the hill thinking you know i'm, I'm moving like a ninja or something like that but uh nope he, uh, he uh, the minute the minute i broke over the top of the hill he spotted me and flew out to a uh what do you call it 
an open field and the field though had like lots of tall vegetation so he he flew into this field and i couldn't see him he could probably see me but i couldn't see him so but that and that's the way my season ended i didn't kill anything but i had a blast i mean compared to last year where i only hunted one day during the spring turkey season and on that day like my mentor he he called for me he told me where to go and when I, he called a bird in i took the shot and i killed you know a turkey on and that's my first hunt ever um not my first i mean i should say my first turkey hunt ever and i killed something to now go graduate to doing this on my own even get the opportunity to take somebody out with me and at first like i i, I was kind of down on myself like oh i must not be that good you know the only reason i killed a bird last year because you know somebody more experienced was with me but then i had to kind of you know reel it in a bit and, and be like nah like you did well like every day you were mm. under you were under a roosted bird um i hunted five days total and like i said every day i was under a roosted bird and only one of those days i didn't get to see any of those birds but i other than that the other four days you know i was doing my best like it was a whole call and response doing my best hitting those calls trying to figure out am i calling too much am i calling too little it's you know what it feels like it feels turkey hunting to me especially when you're calling to calling to these turkeys feels like being at a, a junior high school dance like you're not <laughs> you're, you're nervous you're not quite sure what to do not quite sure what to say are you are you talking too much are you talking too little you know say that that's what it felt that's like to me yeah man now it, it, dude i'll tell you right it sounds like you had an amazing time it sounds like you did an amazing job uh you know because there's there's the just like deer hunting or any other hunting, you know, the majority of the time you ain't going to kill anything. And, and the fact that you were on birds every single day, but one day, I mean, shoot, that's a win in my book. Um, but I know exactly what you're talking about, man. It, it can be frustrating. It can be nerve wracking. Um, that's how my season was this year. I was not able to harvest a bird, but I was on birds almost every day. I had birds talking back to me uh so i i definitely understand that frustration uh but i like that analogy high school day or middle school dance that's a good one that's a, that's a really really good one and i mean hearing about both of your guys turkey season just kills me because it was a lot rougher out here this year and uh man i just wish i could get on birds every day and i just had everything under the sun working against me and um did see a, you know tracks i saw a bird um a few birds and i'm like yeah man what the heck's going on and, and just hearing other people getting out there and having success i mean it seems like you did everything right but you know that's just turkey hunting i've been in uh so many spots where it's like okay you know perfect location they're they're on the roost tree they're gonna fly down this way and then for some reason they go the complete other way and you go mm -hmm. why like there's nothing <laughs> over there i don't know why you went that way <laughs> but they do it um it's it's funny because it made me think um my first year in michigan hunting um turkeys i was like what the heck is going on here because i had the roost tree dialed in went to a different spot to cut them off from them cutting away from me and then the tree i you know same thing pitch black didn't get to roost them that night um i'm right underneath the roost tree and it's in a uh, pine forest i can't see birds when they land because they're right behind a tree and um it, you know it's more fun being out there especially for you know new hunters if you take anyone out turkey hunting um their eyes light up once they hear that gobble it's just mm -hmm. something in, in the spring like i mean i get a huge rush from it um i actually enjoy turkey hunting more than deer hunting personally 
Um, I mean, that's just one of my top hunts. I love turkey, and it's just fun. It's great for everybody involved. Yeah, and Cliff, man, I'll say this real quick. Uh, and, you know, I listened to you a lot on, you know, I know you were uh, going in it for the uh, turkey hunting com- or turkey calling competition for BHA in there in New York. Yeah. And you sounded, for your second year of turkey hunting, man, your calling sounded great. Your sequences were nice, man. So it's not surprising that you were, um, you know, on birds every day because, you know, when, when you said that, you know, this is your second year and then I kind of remembered back to listening to you uh, in that competition uh man i was just like dang he sounds a lot he sounds a lot better than most second year turkey hunters so (laughs) so that's some good stuff man i appreciate that and you know what quick side note to my listeners enter stuff like that that you see on social media don't be scared to do that because uh to be honest with you guys i only entered those things to force myself to practice um you know what i'm saying and get comfortable with with using these turkey calls because you know i got uh what i end up with i ended up with two pot calls one glass surface one slate a box call and a couple of mouth calls and what these contests uh, forced me to do was because i'm a, i'm competitive by nature you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. I, I i love to compete so i don't i don't like losing so i'm like i'm gonna do my best you know what i'm saying learn as best as possible and then um you know put my best foot forward but um real quick just to jump back to um to jason um i was listening to uh your your recap of your turkey season and dude if you don't mind sharing with us um you had touched on i mean i highly recommend people go listen to you know your episode they don't have to get it just from here um but if you don't mind briefly sharing, like, what was your turkey season like? Because you were dealing with some fires, correct? That That's what was affecting your season? Yeah, so it was a previous burn in the unit I had, and it burned. Um, so it's technically, there's an east and a west in a lot of the units in Arizona, um, in, at least in the north part of the state. And that's where all your birds are at. So I was in the one, um, it's a whole unit. They combine them for turkeys. It's usually separate for deer. So in the one part of the unit was um, an old burn, like completely scorched, all black. Like you, you, there's no vegetation. It didn't grow back. It was a hot fire last year. Then they were running prescribed burns on the southern end of the unit. But um, when I say southern end, I'm literally mean like the southern half. So you know, I'm all of a sudden stuck in one little spot. Um, it's a, it's a nice area. I mean, everybody in Arizona knows the area. Um, so I, I guess technically I could let everyone know what it is because it is the Kaibab, and that is the most – everyone goes for that tag in the draw. Um, mm-hmm. Really, really hard to draw anyways. To cut you off, you got a draw to turkey hunt there? Yeah, so here we have oh, wow. a draw for, for turkeys because um, we have – I'm probably wrong on it, but I think it's like 15 units. Um that are have turkeys because we don't have a lot of turkeys but this unit up there was um it's supposed to be one of the best but if you look at the the actual numbers of birds previously um they're on the decline for some reason they had a we had a warm winter so no snowpack um birds were never forced down off of that because you're at like nine thousand feet roughly um mm. so they can go down and get to like you know 75 6, 000, no problem um, so they had vegetation there growing because of the warm winter. So between the fires, 
um, the warm winter, um, 50 mile per hour winds, um, like gust for about two thirds of my hunt. Um, the first day was 30 mile per hour consistent. So, I mean, it was literally everything you can imagine going wrong because, you know, when the wind blows, you can't hear anything. And uh, I did a giant loop. There's a lot of roads up there. So I was like, okay, I'll truck camp and um, I'm hiking. I hit like 10 miles that first day. I ran into the same hunters a bunch of times. And we're like, how were we like crossing paths at this point? Like we're, we feel like we're zigzagging across each other, but nobody was having any luck. And um, it's a the way the season laid out was the first you have a week um, in May or April, and then you have another week in May. So you have about three weeks in between. Um, that's just the tag I got. There is a tag that's the later season, um, mm-hmm. but it, it wasn't mattering up there. They've had they had a ton of wind for. Um, I think the whole season, I've only heard of one bird being harvested this year out of that unit, and that's looking at official data. So uh, I'm not feeling too bad because I did find sign. I found, you know, I had some birds around, um, nothing worth going after. Um, There was a nice hen, though, and she was kind of, like, confused in the open for for a bit. That was pretty fun to watch. And, you know, in the spring, you're like, okay, there's a hen. There's going to be a tom right behind her. No. Like that never happens. Um, so it's it was just a it was all around. It was a tough hunt, and I don't know I, if I could go back and do it again. I probably would, um, mm-hmm. but now I know I have so many points on my maps now that I'm like, okay, I know they're here. I know they're you know they're there. There's so much sign, but if that southern end of the unit was open, I'd probably be hitting that up. But prescribed burns. I mean, there's nothing you can do, even though mm-hmm. it's so windy. They had the roads blocked off, so technically it's illegal to cross those because um, they they're basically waiting for the wind to stop so they can burn. Um, Arizona is very hot right now. Um, I mean we're dry, um, no monsoon for two years, um, going a third because we haven't had rain yet, um, at least where I'm at. So it's it's been rough out here. So I mean it's it's still something cool, but it is funny because I was in a different unit um, a couple days ago. And I did see five birds, so that kind of really aggravated me because I saw them and they weren't hard to get to. I just have to go for that unit next year. I'm assuming. Nice, nice. All right. Ah, see, it seems like. Well, you know what? I didn't ask Xavier. How uh, did you get out uh, turkey hunting this season? I did. Yeah, I uh, I got out a handful of days, and and it was just I don't know, kind of rough. Uh, we had a very wet and cool spring here, so it's kind of a little bit uh, different. We had a lot of flooding issues early in the season as well, because I'm I'm close to the Mississippi River, um, so when the, that gets out of its banks, it it can kind of put a damper on things. And there's actually a closure uh, close where I'm at for like when the water level gets to a certain height, you can you can't do any kind of uh, big game hunting, and so you know that closed season down for a little bit. Um, and the state of Tennessee also changed its hunting season uh, th- this year and going forward where it pushed the uh, turkey season back a few weeks. And it also cut the number of birds you can kill in a season down. So that, that definitely slowed me down. Uh, yeah, I was able to get out uh, a few days there. Uh, well, more than that, but just, man, just couldn't ever make it happen. You know, had a lot of birds working. I probably had a, a gobbler 80 yards uh, from me coming my way 
the second to the last day that I hunted, and 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 I no lie, a stray dog came out of nowhere and ran straight up the uh, bluff where I was hunting and flushed all the birds out of there. And I just said, you know, it just ain't in the cards this year, I guess, because it was it was just one of those things that you like never in a million years would you think a stray dog i'm i'm in the back of some of some private ground uh, uh my uncle's place uh, he, i was hunting with him and you know there's probably not a, a house or anything for two or three miles and uh a random dog comes out of nowhere and killed my hunt so that that's how i wrapped up my turkey season so yeah next year that's what i always say anyway <laughs> right there's always next year <laughs> that's it all right. So, you know what? Let's let's get into the heart of this, because um, one of the main reasons I really uh, wanted to have both you guys on this episode um, had to do with an episode of yours, of you guys, is that uh, I, I listened to recently. And um, I mean, everybody knows who Steve Vanilla is, you know, the meat, the meat eater God, if you will. And uh <laughs> And, um, you know, a couple of months ago, his brother wrote an article basically stating an argument against hunter recruitment. Um, it wasn't, you know, taken as, well, as far as I know, it wasn't taken very, very well. It wasn't received very well. Um, but I mean, I can see both sides of it. And I had thoroughly enjoyed listening to you guys' episode because it was the first time because uh, I, I read rebuttals to to Matt Ranella's uh, article, you know, written by Outdoor Life, written by Hunters of Color. But you guys are the only ones I heard actually speak on it. Um, and it it talked about um, R3. Um, I want to know, could one of you guys, uh, for my listeners, because, you know, I try to gear uh, my podcast towards the newer uh, bow hunters, the newer hunters. What exactly is R3? Yeah, I can I can speak on that uh, at least first. Um, and so R three uh, stands for recruitment, reactivation, and um, retention. And so what that whole movement is about is pretty much getting more people into the outdoor field when as far as hunting related activities, fishing related activities. Um, and so that's kind of the three pillars that it falls for or falls under. So you're going to recruit people, you need to retain people, um, and you need to reactivate people that used to be in the field but left for whatever reason. Um, and so that's that's kind of the that's kind of the quick cliff notes of that what that is. But essentially, what it is, it's just a program that. It's pretty new. Uh, I want to say the R3 movement is probably three or four years old. Um, and it started out, like, I think two years ago, there was only eight states that had, like, a R3 coordinator, quote-unquote. And then now, it's uh, this past year, it's jumped up to about 26 states that now have R3 coordinator. Um, and R3 gets a bad rap, in, in my personal opinion. And I understand why it gets a bad rap. Um, and, you know, that's kind of one of my main things is try to turn it around and make it, you know, a lot of bit, a, lo a little bit better. But a lot of people see R3 as feel good programs. Uh, you know, you get 
a couple of people out there one weekend and then you kind of leave them high and dry, you know. And so I get why people don't really put a lot of faith in R3. And I guess that's why, you know, for me personally, I try to take it a step a step beyond that and actually, you know, focus on those programs for a longer period of time and not just one weekend and then kind of leave it alone. That's pretty much R3. Uh, it's just a program, a national program that are is designed to get more people involved, get more people buying licenses, uh, buying equipment. Uh, coming, joining different organizations, uh, lo- being able to lobby, I guess you could also say, um, getting more spokespeople out there. Um, and again, it's a national movement. A lot of states have their own coordinators. A lot of states within or a lot of organizations have their own coordinators within that organization. Um, and so, yeah, it's a new new movement. It's still growing. It's still a lot of learning going on. So that's one thing I always stress when people say, well, you ain't got your act together. It's like, well, we're still we're still trying to figure this thing out. The world's changing every day. So we're having to change every day or the R3 movement's having to change every day because you everybody's different. Every city's different. Uh, every person's different. And so when you're trying to do all these things, you're having to cater to all of these different personalities and lifestyles. So it's a lot harder than it sounds. Um, mm. And, you know, I think for R3 personally, the hardest thing is retention. You know, it's easy to put on their workshop. It's easy to come to somebody who used to buy a hunting license and say, hey, won't you buy another one? But the real problem, in my personal opinion, is to get people to continue to come back day after day, year after year, by license after license gear after gear you know that's the in my mind that's the biggest struggle in the r3 program right now or not necessarily the struggle but the biggest question mark i guess i would say but yeah in in short you know that that's kind of what the r3 program is you know i i can totally appreciate what you're saying because um all right so coming from new york city that's the been the biggest issue for me personally and the biggest issue for me personally also one uh, i mean another big issue for me in terms of seeing other organizations on on social media you know promoting hunter mentoring you know guy i mean like taking out uh newer hunters and such because um i like i've been invited on on plenty of hunts you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. but it would require me to drive 3 4 5 you know 7 yeah. hours from home you know and um but then and then let's say let's say i'm able to hunt for a day or even a weekend if i'm lucky and um after what happens after that you know what i'm saying i i mean prior to i mean a lot of my listeners know i'm I'm a driver for ups now but for years you know in a past life i worked in nonprofit management and the the key the thing that I, i see missing when it comes to how some groups are approaching R3 is there doesn't seem to be, um, I don't know, some kind of like tracking kind right. of, um, and cause I feel like when, 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 uh, let me, let me put it this way. When I ran, when I managed teen programs at a local, at a local YMCA, right. Mm-hmm. What I did was when I engaged my students, um, the way I had them coming back, like I'd ask them to share their report cards with me. You know what I'm saying? I'd see yeah. whether or not the activities they're taking part in, 
are affecting their grades in a positive or negative manner. You know, saying tracking, I tracked attendance, you know, things like that. I tracked, um, if a, if a kid isn't in relation to attendance, if a kid isn't coming to a program every week, making the point to reach out, find out why is it, is it a scheduling issue? Maybe, um, a different night in the, of the week for my programs would work best for a majority of the students, as opposed to just a, you know, a small group, stuff like yeah. that. That's what I think. And cause I don't know who's like, all right. So I hear R three all the time. I don't know who's behind those mm-hmm. three word three words specifically i don't know if there's a, an actual program behind it you know how how a person or how an organization is supposed to go about recruitment how an right. organization is supposed to go about uh retention how they're supposed to go about reactivation like that's that's the aspect of it that yeah. i i don't see and kind of bugs me because i can't i one of the things i pride myself on doing through my instagram page is just trying to show people in in urban areas that you know i'm doing this granted i don't do this every day i don't hunt all weekend or i don't go on week-long hunting trips but it can be done and i and i let them know about groups that or or people that are willing to take them out hunting but that are like a good distance away from the city but then i'm i'm a bit hesitant because i'm like what are they going to do afterwards they come back to the city now now what you know saying yeah, and and you know, and and I, before we keep going further, because I, I hear this a lot, and so I'll just put the asterisks by all what I'm about to my whole conversation going forward is don't get me wrong, it's frustrating when I see people at the trailhead. I get it. I, I get where people coming from. More hunters, more people in the woods. You know, I'm I'm with everybody. I am a big R3 advocate, but I understand everybody's frustrations or concerns when you talk about putting more people in the woods. So I'll just I'll just put that out there. I'm I'm with everybody out there listening that's like, well I don't want more people. I don't want to have to compete. I get it. I'm with you. You know, but you got to look at it on a practical sense. So, but, uh, and we can dive into that later, Cliff, but, but to that point right there, you know, I think that is like the biggest problem with the outdoor industry. I mean, as much as I love the outdoor industry and as much as it might seem that we're doing a lot better, the biggest problem is any type of advertisement, whether it's promotional things, whether it's getting information out there. Now, granted, with this day and age with podcasts and Instagram and YouTube, there's a lot more information out there. But the organization in the, the way we get that information out there is just horrible, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. Like you said, where do I find what to do with R3? What is the goals? What direction are we going in? It's not out there. You know, and I think that is a huge disadvantage. And I think that's why the outdoor world uh, industry, whatever you want to call it, is having such an issue with it is because we are probably our worst enemies when it comes to advertising these things, talking about these things, because people are it's so taboo to want more people on your favorite hunting ground. You know, nobody wants that. And so you're not going to promote that. But at the behind the scenes, everybody's like, oh, we're losing dollars. You know, we're losing this. We're losing this. We're losing this. Well, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. 
Like it's mm. just what it is, you know. And so we have to, as an industry, as a conservation world, we have to get better about talking about this stuff on a more open forum and being more open to all these things and actually have a goal and a destination we want to go. You know, just saying we want to get people out and about and just leave it at that, that's not good enough if you ask me. Mm. Because anything that I've been a part of when I was with law enforcement, when I'm in management now, you know, if I tell somebody, okay, you know, just enjoy your day, do what you think is right. You know, they're probably just going to sit around the coffee table and drink coffee. But if you give somebody like, I won't say an order, but if you give somebody a destination, well, then they have a heading to go that direction. And I think that's where it's lacking right now. Um, And I think as soon as we can nail that portion down, I think you'll see a lot better output of what we're all trying to accomplish you know for so i'll just i don't know if i i hope i don't get in trouble for saying this but tennessee right now i am establishing a mentor program mentor mentor reprogram and it's i am establishing it for the long term because i think that you have to have a long-term mentor can't just be a single visit and so Uh, I am requiring our mentors to meet with the mentee, uh, you know, several times a year, you know, and they have to cover several different things, you know, throughout the year that, you know, I'm looking for several different things. And then at the end of the year, you know, have a dinner um, to have everybody there kind of recap the recap the year, see how everything went, and then continue that mentor mentory partnership going forward with those people. Keep them in touch. Let them continue to work together. And, you know, I think the big thing for me is when I'm doing my mentees, I'm not targeting children. I'm targeting, you know, eight, you know, 18 to 40 year olds. That's kind of my my hot spot if you ask me. Um, because you know, I think the last time I looked at the statistics, you know, the hunting age, uh, license buying age, the from 16 to 44 was at 71 percent, but it's dropped all the way down to around 40 percent now. So, like, the age gap is getting so much smaller now. And so it, we're not targeting all of the people that need to be targeted. You know, if you're targeting kids that come from a non-traditional hunting, fishing background, well, you know, their parents probably aren't going to keep them in the outdoor world, you know, and a kid's not going to spend any money on license or gear or uh, weapons or ammo or archery equipment, whatever. You know, it's that 18 to 40 year old age gap that I think we need to, you know, try to try to target there. So, you know, that's that's, you know, try to that that long term mentor partnership, getting somebody who actually is capable of putting giving back to the industry kind of immediately you know i think that's kind of a direction we need to go now nobody has come out and said that you know on a national level but that's that's kind of where my mind goes got it jason you you have any thoughts on on the whole r3 initiative yeah i mean it's initially on on the surface i think it's, it's a good thing for the most part and like for me personally i look in the the nitty gritty. I go, okay, well, is it, you know, the whole country is hunting really down. And I mean, it is by a percentage. Um, Eastern hunting appears to be down more than Western hunting. So mm-hmm. more people are going West. Well, that's fine and dandy. And, you know, for those states, um, you know, example would be like Wyoming. 
Um, and thus they changed the way it's going to be, which is on the table. Uh, we covered in our podcast um, briefly. There's a couple bills out there. But all of the non-resident tag fees or the application fees, you know, they're, they're making, say, 15 bucks, 20 bucks an applicant. So, like, all these people going west, it's great for these western states. More money, everything. Um, but the R3 as a whole, I mean, we got to be able to keep people local as well. I mean, like, I grew up in the east. Xavier's in the east. You know, we both understand, you know, we hunt the east. We know how it is out there. So the west is the adventure for us. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a luxury in a sense. Um, but if we don't have the places to hunt in the east, then what are we going to do? So I feel like R3 is great, but public land is a huge thing. We don't mm-hmm. have as much public land in the east. I know you're in New York. Um, I did work on Long Island, and my public land when I was on Long Island was a very small refuge. And, yes, there's a few on that island. It was great deer hunting. Um, but, you know, you can't accommodate a ton of people. I mean, there's people coming from, you know, New York City itself to hunt because the deer hunting was great. So, I mean, we have to have opening lands and all that. I feel personally like the private land access has been going downhill for a while. Um, that's just new landowners, new generations. Um, I, I've known tons of old timers who are like, oh, yeah, you want a deer hunt? You want a turkey hunt? Yeah, come on. You can use my property. And they had no problem. But then you get, like, the next generation, you know, like, their, their sons and daughters. And they're like, what, you want to hunt on my property? No, you can't hunt here. So as a whole, I mean, recruiting more hunters is great. But we also have to look out for our battle beyond that as well. So if we get more people involved in hunting, we have more advocates, which is a really great thing. Uh, more people to voice it. But I'm always from the from the nature of we need to be able to teach people the right way to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, me and Xavier talked about it earlier today. Um, public land, like you, you go anywhere on public land, you're finding trash even in these remote places. So like that's a problem. Like we're not following our own guidelines we're setting. So with R3, I want there to be a lot of education. So for mentors. Um, I want like, you know, good, solid mentors who are going to teach them the right way versus, you know, the dude who's poached six mule deer off of different states' properties and stuff for, for mm-hmm. years. And now he's a mentor teaching you these different, what he's going to call shortcuts um, that are very gray areas and stuff and all that. But, I mean, R3 was started, um, I think the initial thing was 2017. Um, there's like a 500-something page like document all about it. And, uh, I mean, most hunters aren't going to read that. Uh, I've only dabbled in it. I don't know if Xavier's dabbled in that, that thing at all because it is called the, uh, the Hunting, Fishing, Sport Shooting, and Archery Recruitment, Retention, and Reactivation. So, mm-hmm. that's a, I mean, that's, that's great. We have a resource to read to go off of. So, it's kind of, I mean, I know Matt Rinella in his article, which was the big stink, was, he called it the Bible. Well, to me, you can't call it the Bible of something yet because this is such a new program. Nothing mm-hmm. is nothing is gone. Like you know, they're they're not their full scale yet. You know, in the future, this might be the greatest thing to ever happen to conservation hunting and all that. Uh, but we can't say that yet. We have to see the results down the road. And I agree with Xavier's points on you know the mentors and mentees meeting constantly. Um, you know, a couple times a year. Um, I have a couple men- mentees below me for turkey hunting. Um, it's kind of, but when you look at it, it's kind of hard for us to meet in a sense when it's not close to turkey season or, you know, tag time and all that. 
but like that's what they wanted to learn how to hunt was turkeys so like that's what i'm taking under my wing so it's one of those things where how do we manage stuff like that if someone wants to get out hunting i mean you have to figure out how how they are as a person i work with a guy who doesn't hunt uh, he's from southern illinois by st louis great dude he's gone you know bird hunting occasionally nothing fancy he's not invested in our what i'm gonna call it culture so i was talking to him i'm like hey you want to go out and hunt this year with me you know i always like to have a second person out there it's a good safety thing as well plus you have mm-hmm. a better time well he's like i'm do not think i personally could go deer hunting and so i'm like well what would you like to hunt and he's like honestly i have no problem with birds so I'm like, well, what about rabbit? Because out here, rabbit's open year-round. We can go anytime we want. He's like, I'm on the fence about that. So we already put on the books. We're going uh, quail hunting when the season opens. We're going to go for the opener. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's something like you got to focus on the mentee a lot. And as a, and finding a mentor who can have the patience and, and you know, not even the knowledge base. Because the knowledge, it's, it's usually all there for mentors. If you want to pass it on, it's there. But you also have to look at your teaching style. So I'm thinking with R3, maybe we come up with a like almost like a conference or something to, to teach the mentors how to teach their knowledge to their mentees. Everybody's different and all that. So, you know, learning a few skills here and there. And I feel like if there's a hardcore hunting teacher out there who knows how to reach people, they'd be the best person for this. But to be fair, a lot of teachers aren't into hunting because they don't have the time to hunt, mainly mm-hmm. because of their, their school schedules. So, I mean, I'm still on the fence about R3, but every time I hear Xavier talking about it, uh, he's pushing me more towards being fully blown for it. I just, <laughs> I just have a lot of reservations on, on different little things, and mine doesn't stem from the, the Matt Ranella article. Um, mm-hmm. I remember reading about this stuff before, when it was first coming out, going, eh, um, I don't know about that. Matt Ranella's article stirred the pot so much, and mm-hmm. it's like, it's like you said, there was just a lot of like, yeah, no, like we're gonna counter you basically, but we're not really gonna go into the depth of why. And I mean, looking at the statistics, like, like I said, like the West has had so many more hunters, um, and it's altering people's like thought process, especially when you're like using these resources to figure out my tag percentage for a like a certain state. Oh, look, 100% draws, and then you can't draw it. I mean, you're having more hunters kicking out west, and you're really wondering why. Because of technology, social media, all that stuff, we are really in, like, a golden age of hunting. Like, before, you know, before social media, I felt like there was, like, a somewhat taboo on hunting. Like, oh, my God, you killed four defensive animals, and now that's out there a lot. Um, but I feel like, as a whole, our priest should be teaching mentors and mentees proper ways to get stuff out there because you mm-hmm. see a lot of you know like trophy picks like it's just some of them are, are fine no big deal some of them look pretty gruesome and you're like why are you putting this out there you're, you're a big name that thing looks bloody and just and just terrible um that that gives us a bad look so i'm all for it but i have my reservations and that's that's pretty much me for the most part in a nutshell i always have reservations on stuff mm-hmm. but I like to, to see a full picture and not get too sucked into one side. No, I, I totally agree. Because it's what I guess my reservations about it. First of all, I'm brand new to this. So I'm I'm approaching it from a person having been, well, I wasn't necessarily recruited 
know what I'm saying? I I made this choice on my own to want to hunt, but um, and I was lucky enough to find a mentor. So I guess for me is I'm learning about you know firsthand. I'm learning about the retention um aspect of it. You know, saying what's keeping me interested, and one of the things I think Xavier uh, touched on was um, the mentoring being long term, because like it's been a little over a year now since I met my mentor, and the awesome thing is we will still meet up to hunt. Um, I have questions, I I call him, you know what I'm saying? Um, we he's even like I've organized a, a group of guys who who hadn't been turkey hunting before to uh, to meet, link up with him and. And learn about scouting for Turkey. You know what I'm saying? So, um, like I said, the the recruitment um, aspect, I don't think is going to be the most difficult part of it. Because there there are organizations out there. There's a, a fairly new organization um, called Bowhunters United. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an offshoot of the ATA, the Archery Trade Association. And um, what Bowhunters United is is about you know getting more people into bow hunting and you know and they've got great ideas about converting you know longtime archers at the range into bow hunters you know what i'm saying maybe uh, you know figuring out a way to to get those folks who who are at the range on a regular basis whether they're shooting uh traditional bows or compounds and then getting them interested in getting out into the woods and hunting um, you know, through through grants, paying, uh, you know, offering to pay uh, programs where they pay for uh, range fees, um, you know, stuff like that. So, like, they've got a cool idea about recruiting, but I I haven't heard, and maybe I've got to find a way to get uh, my hands on that those five hundred pages you were talking about, and seeing what the thoughts are on retention, and um and how everything is uh being tracked. Um, and then reactivation, I had to, to be honest, I've got no clue because I don't know many people that hunt. I mean, I'm, I'm meeting more and more people, but everyone that I'm meeting hunt, you know, regularly or every season and so on. So how do you find those people that used to hunt fell out of it, you know, and got and uh, and then try to, you know, try to get them back in. Like uh, my most recent episode of this podcast dropped uh, today, as a matter of fact. And um, one of the guys I interviewed, he used to hunt as a kid. And uh, he he fell out of interest in it w- with it because, you know, as a kid growing up, he started playing sports, got interested in girls and, and stuff like that. So his life as as a kid was just busy. And it wasn't until... He got reintroduced to it. Um, he happened to find out, I guess, one of his in-laws hunt, and he was like, "Oh, yeah, I remember this." And now he's gotten back into it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I, I, I guess it's. I'd like to. I mean, hey, if, if you have access to it and are able to share it, I'd love to see. You know what? What the whole R three Bible is about, yeah. and and then uh, and then go go from there. Maybe learn some more about it. Yeah, but, for sure. That'd be that'd be good to send to, to almost anybody who's interested in this topic. It's mm-hmm. kind of the, the roots of it all, and like you said, the reactivation part is it's different depending on each person. Um, mm-hmm. you had, that was a great, you know, great moment. You know, someone's in-laws helped pretty much get them back into it. Uh, like yeah. my step, my stepdad, he hunted back a long time ago um, with my my grandpa all the time. They had a hunting accident with the during pheasant season, so they just mm. gave it up. So now I have my grandpa's shotgun, 
And uh, I mean, I love that shotgun. It's, it's got the whole family thing to it. It's not the most expensive thing. I mean, it's probably the cheapest one they had. But my passion in this field and being um, where I'm at, like with the conservation side and all that, that kind of reinvigorated him to get into it because he's like, okay, I see the good and the bad. I mean, there are hunts out there that could be looked at as bad. I mean, like the whole grizzly bear thing in Wyoming and Montana, Idaho, all that. Um, like we have these, this outlook on us all the time. There's a microscope on hunters because they always think we're the evil people, but we're mm -hmm. not. There, I mean, there are probably there's bad in every group. So for all the bad, there's a lot of good. And I got him back into hunting, and he went squirrel hunting with me, and he'll go bird hunting with me. And that, I mean, I enjoy that time, even if you don't get anything. Just walking through the woods, having that connection with someone else is—it's just you can't beat it because you're all on the same mission. You're you have the same passion at that point. Um, I think that's really what's helping a lot too. And um, I mean, my buddy, one of my other best friends who's from Illinois. Xavier had him on the podcast with us, or just mm -hmm. me and him at one point. We went squirrel hunting, and it sucked. It was windy as can be, and it was, <laughs> you know, terrible cold right to your face. But watching, you know, a brand new hunter out there chasing a squirrel down in a tree that he saw, trying to get, like, a perfect shot and all that, like, I was just as happy as can be because I'm like, look, this can be done. We can recruit new people. It's not a problem, especially anybody who's into shooting sports. Like, you know, you mentioned your, your archery range guys. I mean, heck, I would love to learn some stuff from them on how to shoot a bow better. Um, they probably have a great shot. If we could get them you know, on the wood side, they'd be mm -hmm. awesome in there. Same goes for people who just go to the, the shooting range and are shooting their bolt action, you know, rifle, um, hangers. They're just into shooting sports. They probably would love hunting. It's just another thing. And they probably don't realize it, but their money goes into conservation with the Pittman-Robertson Act. So, I mean, they're helping us even though they don't realize they're helping us. And like the whole COVID thing, you know, the whole ammo shortage, people buying guns. Um, I got a peek at the future budget, um, mm -hmm. or at least for us. And I mean, we don't really get that till next year. It's kind of like the year after. Um, holy crap, it looks really nice. Um, it's just kind of how it's played out. I mean, it's great. Everyone kept buying stuff, buying stuff. You know, sometimes politics play in our favor. Like when people mm -hmm. have like freakouts. Oh, let's buy all the ammo we can get. Let's buy all the guns we can get. Well, that money's you know dipping back into conservation, and we can preserve a whole lot of habitat. You know, work on different species. It's just great for all of us. So it's not. I don't think it's hard to get those people to come hunt, but it's the keeping them hunting, as it's been mentioned. That's going to be the hardest part. No, I totally agree. And um, and just a, a quick you know kudos to you guys again. Um, I think you two are perfect examples of that whole lot of good that um, outshines the bad that's going on, especially with hunters um, being portrayed as, you know, just bloodthirsty killers, <laughs> if you will. You know what I'm saying? Because, again, uh, what I love about you guys' podcasts is, um, is the fact that you guys always hit on the conservation side of it, how, you know what I'm saying? And that's not, I don't hear it much in terms of um, when people are talking about hunting or for any of the hunting content that I consume, it's usually, if it's on a podcast, if it's on Netflix, if it's on YouTube, it's all about the hunt. You know what I'm saying? They they hunted this animal. They got a good shot on Boom, that's it. 
but there's never any talk about um you know the habitat that they're hunting in mm-hmm. so like I, I i always respect that when you guys are talking about you know um for example your turkey hunt how how your turkey hunt was affected because of that burn that took place you know what i'm saying stuff like that and people understanding whether uh, you know the burns are a good thing a bad thing how it affects um the growth of vegetation you're know saying like those are all the things i find fascinating so maybe i'm being a little bit of a geek about it or whatever but it's it's i feel like that's what goes hand in hand um with you there's hunting and there's there's just there's killing and the hunting side of it, i mean there there's always gonna the hunting leads to the killing you having to put the shot on that animal but i think the real work goes into the hunting because the hunting is not only stalking the animal, but learning about it, learning about its habitat, what happened um, in that habitat uh, maybe a couple months prior to to affect what that animal is doing while you're hunting, uh, what, what's, hap- what's happened in the past years for you to understand what's going to be going on at that time that you're hunting. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it, it's just a whole bunch of stuff that I kind of geek out on. Um, and I'm having a lot of fun learning and I appreciate you guys putting that content out there as well and addressing that and not only just, you know, going out there and hunting the animal. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. And, you know, that's definitely the idea. And as far as you talking about geeking out, man, welcome to the club. You know, that's what, <laughs> that's what me and me and Jason, that's what we're all about. And, you know, when it comes to like the R3 movement and hunter um, recruitment, You know, I think that that's the most important part because what people always forget about, yeah, you see that nice elk, you see that beautiful turkey, you see that uh, massive rack on that whitetail. And, you know, a lot of people get sucked into that. And that's great because I do, too. There's I hold nothing against that. I love that part of the outdoor industry. But what people don't realize and kind of you were just touching on is what cause those things to be the way they are and that is on the conservation side of things and i think that's where my passion for the hunter recruitment uh is so is so large because you know if if you ask my mama my wife anybody i I drive them nuts because i'm a planner i've got to know like I, i need to know a to B. I, 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 I hate going on vacations and not having a plan. That's just me. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, and, and so like I look at numbers when it comes to license sales. Um, and it's, it's, I mean, it's no, it's, it's no denying that numbers are going down. License sales equal conservation dollars. That's not the only thing like Jason pointed to a little bit ago, you know, People who rec- shoot recreational, they put a lot of money into it through Pittman Robinson between from all the firearms and the ammunition, all your archers, you know, all that equipment, all that money that goes into conservation, all of the programs that you, um, you know, join, the duck stamp that you buy, all that goes to places like the Nature Conservancy that donate land to federal uh, agencies to make public uh, grounds or research for your bighorn sheep or your turkey population that was really uh, falling off, but they grew back and it's starting to fall off again a little bit and growing back, uh, back and forth. But when you have more people, you have more 
dollars. Not only do you have more dollars, you also have more advocates. You have more people on Capitol Hill. You have more people at the state level talking to your uh, game commissioners. You have more people, you know, fighting the fight. Because if you want to be honest, we are outnumbered. I don't know this number exactly, but we're probably outnumbered 100 to 1 when it comes to anti-hunters, in, in the, at least in America, you know. Um, and, and I would argue that fact with anybody. And so, like, if we continue to lose uh, support, if we continue to lose that, you know, we're not only losing money, but we're also losing the voice. And I think that's why I am so passionate about hunter recruitment. I get it. I don't want to have to run into more and more people in the woods either. I mean, I'm with everybody. That, that stinks. Um, but the f- simple fact is numbers are going down. And, you know, I think we have to address that, you know, and it's one of those things you don't wait until uh, you're shot before you learn first aid. You learn first aid before you get shot. And so, therefore, we need to figure out how we combat all these things and not wait until it's too late. You know, and I think there's a lot of things that are uh, that we can use to our advantage, you know, use women right now. That is the largest or that's the fastest growing uh, demographic in the outdoor industry. So we need to be focusing on them uh, tremendously. Um, And I I think I said this in the podcast when we talked about this, but uh, according to the the census by 2024, uh, you know, Caucasian males will be, or not Caucasian males, but um, people who are of the Caucasian race will be the minority um, in America right now. Um, Caucasian uh, hunters are 90% of all hunters and 70% of them are males. And so Mm -hmm. therefore it's just a numbers game. It's not anything against anybody. It is what it is. If you're talking about a demographic that makes up the majority of your hunters is going to be the minority in America, not to mention that baby boomer section that makes up one third of your you know, licensed purchasers, your advocates, your organization people, they make up 30% of the outdoor industry currently. Within 15 years, pretty much every baby boomer will probably, at minimum, not be buying license. And like I mentioned a little bit earlier, with that age group between 18 and like 40, or 16 and 40, diminishing at a rapid rate, there's a problem there. You know, those aren't numbers that you're that are just, you know, somebody's taken out of a bag somewhere. I mean, those are hard numbers. And if you're not preparing for that, if you're not trying to combat that, you're going to be in tough shape. Because if you want to talk about losing 30 percent here in the next 10 to 15 years, man, that's going to be a big uh, shot to everybody. And, you know, thank goodness you're definitely seeing the meat eater crew. One thing that I've really liked about them is you know they're they're exposing a different side of the outdoor industry which is nice you know i really one reason i i reached out to you a year year and a half ago whenever it was is i really appreciated somebody with your background as far as you know coming from a metropolitan area and getting into this industry yeah you know that to me that's amazing because that's what we need to be doing that's a success Mm -hmm. and you know if we're not addressing these issues now well, if we wait 10, 15 years from now, we're screwed. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. 
you know, and so that's why I'm so passionate about it, because I want to preserve what we have. We have such a great thing going this past year with the Great American Outdoors Act getting passed, you know, that that guaranteed funding. You know, let's not waste it. Let's not waste all the gifts that we have, you know, and let's not wait to the last minute. Because if you do, man, I've seen it all too often, whether you're talking about at work or personal relationships, if you don't if you don't uh, fix the problem while you can fix it, then, you know, you're going to be in a very even steeper climb trying to get back to evil, even playing field. Nah, understood. Understood. Well, listen, um, I, I hate to do this, but the thing is, we are in different time zones and it is getting <laughs> li- it is getting late for me. But I don't want to wrap this up without, I guess, getting some closing thoughts from you guys. Um, specifically, um, uh, I'll start with Jason. Um, and I guess if if in a perfect world for you, Jason, um, I mean, it could be brief. It could be, uh, you know, long. I'm not, I don't really care. But I guess not. That I don't really care. Sorry about that. Um, I don't really mind. But um, in a perfect world, in in your opinion, um how would r3 work for you like what's the most important aspect of it whether it be the recruitment the the retention or the reactivation is there one that you feel is more important than the other or all three are equal in your eyes but what is going to make it work in your idea yeah so for me i would honestly lean more towards the retention aspect the the reactivation to me it's just there's going to be a, a cutoff time at some point, you know, if mm-hmm. a guy has a hunted in say 50 years, you know, he's already 70, he's not really going to get back into hunting. So we need to focus on retaining people. And that is, I feel the hardest part. I mean, you know, mentees can flake out on mentors and mentors can flake out on mentees. So um, we got to keep them going and then teach them the right way to do it. Um, that's my biggest thing constantly. And uh, when Xavier mentioned, like, you know, Meat Eater did it right, like, their show was is phenomenal. They've done a great job with their whole, you know, giant corporation now because they're just taking over the whole hunting world. Um, but what sticks to me is, um, and I've shown this episode to every new hunter I'm going out with, um, there's a Meat Eater episode, I think it was in season six or seven, um, Steve Rennell is hunting bears up in Alaska. Mm-hmm. He sees a bear and he's going, you know what, I got enough meat in my freezer right now. I don't need to shoot this bear. So that, that to me was like, this is what we need to teach people. Like you don't need to go out and, and, you know, harvest an animal every time you go out just because you, you think that you need to like, that's, you know, part of the hunt is the adventure and the journey. And to me personally, like if you're going out with a mentor and it's literally, he's doing everything for you and not giving you any, you know, run at all, then you're not going to learn as much. So if a mentor is like, Hey, why don't you try calling to this bird? Um, you know, spring turkey with a box call as a first timer is probably your best bet. I mean, you can do it and you learn and you're just grasping that knowledge going, hey, I can do this by myself too. So then you get that, that confidence to go out and actually keep trying. So to me, I, I'm so focused on retention more than trying to get new hunters out there. I want to retain the hunters we have. Um, you know, all these the good hunters we have, you know, they get a couple bad years and they're like, well, I might just give up on this. I can't get on game or whatever. Um, talked to a few, like, well, I'm calling them old timers because they've been hunting the same area for, you know, what, 40 years. And I'm like, well, 
have we tried a different area? And they're like, oh, I can't do that. I don't, I don't know anything about it. So I've discussed mm-hmm. with them different options out there. Um, the world of technology. There's so many mapping programs out there. You can e-scout with just about anything. So just get out there, check out a new area, and you know, get that passion going. Um, little, little quick, side, somewhat sidetracked, but it all comes back to the same thing. Is um, our field is very competitive. So I mean, you're bouncing around. Like I bounced to so many states. I've been all over the country, east to west, north to south. And there was a time where I was, I was losing my passion for this field because mm-hmm. the job was so hard to keep. Well, I don't remember exactly which job it was. I think it was when I ended up on Long Island, of all places. Um, they, you know, that job changed my, per, like my perception of everything. I had a great boss. Um, he was a mentor in some hunting aspects, more like hunting the Northeast, since I've never done that. But he showed me you know, tips and tricks on how to get a better job. Well, it worked. I mean, my career's been nothing but going up from there. So him telling me these tricks and, you know, how to do things and to get me on the right path, um, it just, it changed my entire life for the most part. So, I mean, I have a huge shout out to him. Um, I'd love to work for him again one day. Uh, Maybe Mm. that'll happen. I don't know. But without him, you know, I'm not bleeding conservation. So, um, he was a, a huge step, and that carries over into the hunting. Like with these mentors, they gotta they gotta give you that passion as well. Because if they just teach you how to do it, well, it's you know the same as if you pick up an Xbox or PlayStation controller and you play a video game. Like what do you freaking do? Like you gotta be able to do it for yourself. And then you t- put yourself in that tough situation. I mean, we arrived in Idaho with the highest peaks I I feel like I've ever seen. I know they're not, but when you're actually going, you know, boots on the ground, going into this whole brand new country, and you're just looking at going, I got to do what now? And you can see exactly from where we had the truck parked to where we were at on the one pass. Um, yeah, that that's just like, it just blows your mind. You're like, I did what? So we may have not have had our elk down on the ground or anything, but the experience we took from that alone is enough to keep us going and I mean, I have memories for a lifetime just from that trip. And to me, that is more what hunting is about. It's about the memories of everything that's going on. I mean, I want to be able to show pictures, you know, when I'm like old and gray um, to my kid and, you know, hopefully grandkids of like those old school pictures you see from old hunters in Michigan, New York, like where they had these giant bucks and this and that. But I just want to say, hey, look, you see this cool background with this awesome animal that I got? Like, that's what it's about to me. So, and that's going to help retain more people if you give them the full sense of adventure. And I feel like if we put that knowledge, like that, that basis out there, like it's more than just shooting an animal. Like to me, shoot the, the shooting part is the easy part. The pack out, the getting on them, you know, getting in that position is so much harder. Um, and that's what I feel like the anti hunters don't understand, like your straight backpacker stuff like that. So, like to me. We have to, to loop everyone in and realize it's more than just shooting an animal. It's it's about the adventure, the, the camaraderie. Um, I mean, people in Wisconsin have these amazing deer camps. Uh, you know, you have generations. Like, usually it's like three generations. Sometimes you're lucky to have four generations of people out there. Um, it's just, like, that's what it's about. Hunting was always a way of life for people to survive. Now it's a, it is a luxury. Like, we're, we're allowed to still do it. It's not like... Europe, you know, where it's all about private lands and and you have to be, you know, a king or whatever, how it was back then. So if you think about we're extremely lucky to embrace public lands, 
and what we have in front of us. So that's going to help, I feel, retain people. But we have to teach them about some of the history out there, some of the cool conservation stories of, like, whitetail not, you know, almost being extinct. Like, if whitetail are extinct, we don't have half the hunting shows we've ever had that keep our interest or, you know, we watch for mm-hmm. whatever reason. So, I mean, there's just a lot out there. But, re- like you've mentioned, getting people into the field is not the hard part. Retaining is definitely the hard part. Got it. Got it. All right. Um, so just to to round this out now with um, with Xavier, um, if there was one piece of advice, Xavier, that you could offer to, you know, a newer hunter, you know, coming to this, uh, something that'll definitely, I guess, keep them coming back in terms, of, I guess, retention. What what do you think that piece of advice would be? Um. My, I think for my per, for a new hunter, my advice would probably be just do it. You know, I'll take the Nike slogan, you know, <laughs> try, you know, try, just try it. You know, so many times people are so scared to go to public land. You know, it has like this, this aura about it that it's like, oh, I don't know what to expect. And so it scares them. And so they just don't go, you know. But I'm telling you, just go out there and do it. Nine tens out of nine out of ten times, you're going to have an amazing experience, you know. And don't be bogged down um, to just deer hunting. You know, I think that a lot of people get as a new hunter, they get so overwhelmed with hunting media now with the sexy large game animals, deer, elk, you know, turkey, you know. They And so they're like, I can't kill a deer easy. It's hard. I can't, you know, all this. You don't have to do that. You can go squirrel hunting. You can go rabbit hunting. You can go fishing to just, you know, get established, get familiar with your public ground if you don't have any private ground. Um, and, you know, they, they just get so overwhelmed. And so I guess I know you asked for one, but that's my t- I would give two. you know, just do it and don't get overwhelmed. You know, you don't have to kill a 150 inch buck your very first sit you know understand all the videos you watch on tv those guys probably missed a thousand times and they probably mm-hmm. said it and they probably sit in that stand you know 20 days before they even saw a deer come through there you know and that's their job they don't have a nine to five like most of us do you know so don't don't get bogged down don't get overwhelmed you know and just do it you know that's that's the thing with, with us me and jason when we went out west you know it's like we're just going to do it you know people are like oh you shouldn't do it you should get a guide you should do this i'm like no we're just going to do it i'm tired of talking about it we're just going to do it and turns out man it was the, one of the best experiences of our lives so yeah man those those i know you asked for one i gave you two so i apologize no 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 but, i appreciate uh, it greatly yeah so but but yeah man you know i think i think people just needs to just to enjoy it man we have it's such it's such a blessing to be able to do go out and enjoy what we have if you go to so many other countries you they don't have the freedoms that we do as far as you know having this public land being able to hunt and fish and just have millions upon millions of acres to uh just do whatever you want in essentially so you know just just go do it man because it's it's worth it 100 percent worth it and again like i said you don't have to you don't have to kill a record animal to enjoy it you know share it with your friends you you don't even kind of kill a doe you know i was listening to mark kenyon not too long ago and he was talking about how the first two bucks that he shot at 
um, he hunted for 15 years and he finally got a shot at a buck, uh, missed it completely. Or no, he knocked his arrow off his rest his very first time. Second deer, second buck he had come in front of him, he shot a tree. And he said prior to those two bucks, he could have killed at least 50 does, but he didn't do it because he was so focused on a buck. And Mm. he's looking back at it now. He's like, you know what? If I would have taken those does, I would have known what to do when the moment counted. You know, he and that was kind of his advice. Don't get bogged down. Don't get overwhelmed. You know, don't try to keep up with the Joneses because you see somebody who has a private ranch in Texas kill 180 inch deer. You know, you don't have to do that. It's okay to kill a doe. It's okay to kill a spike if that's your prerogative. That's perfectly fine. Uh, so yeah, man, don't get bogged down. Just do it and enjoy the great outdoors. Got it. Got it. All right, gentlemen. Um, last thing, please share with everybody, uh, you know, where they could find your content, um, whether it's on social media and name of your podcast, everything. Yeah. Um, you can find us on Instagram at TNSC underscore outdoors. Uh, we got email TNSC outdoors at gmail.com. Um, we've got a few videos on YouTube underneath the same name and kind of like a little sneak peek type deal. We're working on some hats and shirts that we're produ- uh, working on right now so we can start sending them out to people. Um, so be looking for that in the future. Nice. Sounds good. Listen, Jason, Xavier, I really appreciate you guys taking the time out to sit and speak with me. Um, really, really enjoyed it, guys. Hey, man, Cliff, thank you very much, man. It's been a blast. Yeah, thank you for having us. I really appreciate it. No doubt, no doubt. So um, I guess that's a wrap, folks, man. Thank you again, gentlemen. Y'all stay blessed. All right, so got to say thank you again to both Xavier and Jason for taking the time out to uh sit and talk with me that was a long episode but a thoroughly uh informative one i i really appreciate it hope you guys enjoyed the conversation i know we covered a lot but um i highly recommend you guys go ahead give them a follow on instagram check out their podcast the north south connection outdoors um i will put links to both uh in the show notes so definitely check it out all right um again thank you to you guys for you know listening in enjoying you know sitting and and enjoying this conversation i had with the guys um like i said i know it was a long one so i appreciate you guys joining me on that journey appreciate you guys sticking with me through my little walk through my hood um as you can see i'm still or as you could hear i should say i'm still taking that walk right now all right so while you're listening i'm gonna ask y'all for a favor go ahead over to the review section of whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast um and hook me up with a five-star rating all right and if you're feeling truly generous uh hook me up with a dope review all right so until next week y'all remember stay blessed and respect the journey even when it's not your own